Jennifer. Can you hear me? Hi, Maisie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. That's nice. It's good to hear from you. Um, hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Jazz, and you're listening to another episode of Letters Off Paper. Tonight, I have the privilege of being with Maisie Card, whose book, These Ghosts, Our Family, was published last year by Simon & Schuster and was longlisted for the 2020 Center for Fiction First Novel Prize. Um, this is a debut novel that surpasses expectations of a debut novel for sure. Um, welcome, 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 Maisie. It's a pleasure and it's incredible to have a chance to talk with you tonight. Oh, thanks so much for, for reading my book and uh, reaching out. <laughs> this is... Um, this is a really complex story about a really complex family. Um, would it be possible to briefly synopsize the plot, you know, for those who are listening? Um, sure. Uh, you know, these ghosts are family. It's a little untraditional, I guess, to say, because it's, it's a novel, but I consider it to be a novel in stories. Um, so mm. it, it is about um, the Paisley family, a Jamaican family, and kind of the way their family uh, fractures over time. Mm. And it begins with the, you know, the grandfather, uh, Abel Paisley, um, getting ready in the first chapter to, con to confess to his family that he faked his own death, basically, and that he's been living under assumed, an assumed name or his best friend's name, actually, for the last 30 years. And so he essentially creates two different families, um, the family he left behind in Jamaica, and then this new family that he created under the name Stanford Solomon um, in present day uh, Harlem in New York mm. City. Mm. And, well. also, and also just to add, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like each chapter focuses on a different family member. Yeah, uh, the design of the book is, well... It's ambitious. You know, when I looked at your book, I thought, wow, you put a lot of time, not just into writing a story, but in deciding how the story should be read. And it's just innovative. And it shows that, you know, there was just a lot of creativity, not just by, you know, the language that you use, which is usually what I think people respond to when they read a book. They'll say, wow, this is good writing. But there's much more, you know, to your book that makes it stand out. Um, one of the things that affected me really profoundly as soon as I opened it was the diagram of the family tree. Mm -hmm. um, it's heavy, you know, because there's just something about your book that makes the Black family take on a certain profundity, a certain importance that I haven't seen in other books. Um, and it was refreshing. And it's something that I felt was missing from a lot of black books that I've read. You know, we live in, in a world where to be black and I travel quite a bit and I can safely say this, that to be black is, is to, just to be undermined constantly. And yeah. so, Oh, absolutely. And so when I read your book, in spite of the fact that there are lots of flaws to the family, you know, um, it's a book about the importance of a, of a black family 
and you sense, you know, that everything that does go wrong has enormous impact. It's not just like, yeah, 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 bad things happen, so what? No, everything that happens, it feels epic. It feels like a Greek myth or something, like something. <laughs> no, really, no, it's an amazing yes. book. It's an amazing book with a lot of power, a lot of strength. Um, let's see. One of the things that I really enjoyed was the tension between truth and myth. Yeah. Um, that's like a real family theme in general, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's definitely something that I kind of struggled with over the years with my family. Um, you know, especially while I was writing this book, I think, um, you know, while I was writing this book, I was thinking a lot about my grandfather and he was, um, you know, he was, he was, I think at the beginning he was starting to show like signs of dementia and I think he's somebody who I feel like I never have, I've never really gotten his real story from him. Um, you know, everything I know about him has always been through my mother or, you know, through, uh, you know, an uncle or, you know, you know, sometimes when he's not around, like people would sit around the table and tell stories about him. But I think while I was writing, I just kept thinking, you know, this is the last my last chance to kind of get the real story, um, you know, unfortunately, which I couldn't because, you know, he was starting to kind of forget himself um you know in the next few years while I was writing it so yeah I think myth is something I mean for a lot of people uh you know in, in black families and in, in Caribbean families too um you know in my family especially there's just not a lot of documentation um and there's also like a not not a lot of open dialogue too so <laughs> I feel like you know you have to you know have to be this like treasure hunter i have to you know invest invest investigate <laughs> private um, yeah to really figure things out and it you know while i was writing this book i've you know i learned a lot of things about my family at the same time and i think that colored um you know that colored uh the the kind of dr drastic shifts in the book as well hmm. um well the past has a powerful hold over a family. I don't know if families acknowledge it. I, I know that a lot of families bury anything that's unpleasant. Yeah. Um, but you seem to just kind of dig it up. You just dig it up. You bring it to the surface, which is also very, very interesting. And I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering how manageable that would be if families did that more often. I know, you know, from personal experience that until I was, let's see, maybe 50, I believed that my grandfather had died of pneumonia. And um, I remember sitting with my aunt and it, would be, it was just a few years before I would lose her. And she was talking to herself with a troubled face and she said, I don't know why daddy did that. I don't know why daddy did that. And she was talking about my grandfather, her, grand, her father. And I looked at her and the pain on her face, you know, and then she said to me, he didn't die of of pneumonia I said no and she said no he died of he he drank himself to death oh wow yeah and you know the thing that really hurt me so much was not that he drank himself to death but that it had such an impact on her my mother my grandmother my great-grandmother and my aunts that I could see them in my mind sitting together in a circle trying to come up with a story that would help them to have some kind of social standing that would not be embarrassing yeah how stressful that must have been because he left behind a family of three daughters, his wife and my great grandmother in one home to pick up the pieces where he left off. Um, my grandmother was pregnant in front of his coffin. She was pregnant with my mother and that left a permanent mark 
uh, my family, just life, how we think, how we were. We were very secretive. We were afraid of the world. I grew up in a home that if you if, if someone knocked or rang the bell, you would always hear someone say, there's strangers outside. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how, how my mother was, too. <laughs> like a Western, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, my my God, that's really why I love this book so much, because you gave me a chance to revisit things that, you know, are just difficult to manage in retrospect. Yeah, and that's what you the story that you just said is like a perfect kind of example of why, I guess, something that I was trying to explore, too. Like, you know, I, um, you know, I grew up in America, even, you know, I immigrated here when I was five. And so, you know, I have a I have this different version of my parents that I had to interpret, but, you know, I didn't realize that their behavior um, was so affected by what happened in Jamaica before I came here, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and they didn't want to talk about the things that happened, but, you know, especially like how my grandfather was and, you know, um, he had a bunch of like kind of different families and, you know, that had a, like a Mm -hmm. very deep impact on my mother and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the way her own mother raised her too. And I didn't, you know, my grandmother was always very sick and I think she died when I was 10. Um, So I never really got a good impression of her. I always thought of her as just very, just being almost like saint-like because she was, you know, she was always so weak and ill and we just all had to take care of her. Um, Hmm. So I didn't really know the person that she was and I didn't know how like strict um, she was with my mother. But, you know, once I started to learn things, I didn't, my father too, I didn't know he had been, abandoned by his own father um you know when he was young too um Hmm. and things like that you know it just it just completely once I realized and I didn't realize um till much later I think about my father I didn't learn until I started this writing this book um it just really changed how I interpret all the things that they've done over the years and the way that they've raised me and yeah they have the same kind of paranoia um when I was growing (laughs) up about me going outside especially when it's like after dark you know even as a teenager they're just so paranoid um and I just didn't understand um but yeah just the more I learned about what all the things that happened to Jamaica the more a lot of things made sense and I could you know because I was a little resentful I think before I started writing this book about the way I was raised um but I think you know once I started learning about more about my parents and, uh, you know, kind of asking questions, I, you know, I could really understand them and I could forgive them for a lot of things. Hmm. Um, well, you, your book is a book that's haunting and the characters in the book are haunted. And um, I also grew up in a house that was haunted, yeah. um, but I don't recall ever having seen a ghost per se. Uh, I just remember sitting in the room specifically, particularly with my great grandmother who would see Jumbi and she would see Jumbi. I know in Jamaica you say Duppy, right? Yeah, Duppy. What, what, so what, what is it St. Croix that you said? Antigua. Antigua, okay. Mm-hmm. So she would see Duppy. She would see Duppy, but... I always wondered what seeing Duppy was. Was it some kind of psychological thing? Because I never saw a figure, an outline like you would in a movie. In a movie, you see something, you know, like an x-ray type, you know, figure. But I never saw. But at the same time, I did feel something supernatural taking place when she sighted a Jumbi. And she would usually call them by their names. 
Oh, really? Um, yeah, she'd call them by their names, which also made me wonder if she was really seeing a Jumbi or creating a Jumbi by kind of, you know, through, through some kind of magnetic force within her own body, projecting it out of her body into the room because of the strength of her her remembrance of this person, something like that. Um, anyway, um, I remember my, 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 she told me, and this was also interesting because it kind of contradicted the notion of a Jumbi being someone that you should be glad to see again. She told me if you ever want to get rid of a Jumbi, call them by their name. Oh, interesting. And, yeah. And was and, she seeing them in, in New York City or in? We, okay, until I was 10 years old, I lived in a house. There were four generations of us, my, my, my parents and then my grandmother and my great-grandmother. Um, my parents, yeah, yeah, me, my brother, sister, my mother, father, and then you have my grandparents. My, well, I didn't have any men except for my father. Men didn't exist in our family. They were considered to be disruptive because of the way my grandfather had died. Um, men were always looked at suspiciously, and I want to talk to you about that also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because men seem to be a disruptive force, especially in in the kind of di- the diaspora experience, you know. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if on the island, because I remember going back to the West Indies, and men seem to be very much a part of home life. But in New York, it seems all, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> so um, that's the way it seemed to me, you know, that, oh, he's, a, he's an alcoholic, blah, 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 blah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I remember that Jumbi were a big part of, daytime upstairs in the old folks part of the house, there were always Jumbi passing through. They always had names. There were always women. And they were women who went through hard times who were saved by other women. Um, men did not really play much of a role in these memories. And, and if, it, if they did, it was not a positive role. What do you think about the relations between people, black women of the diaspora? So many of us arrived at the Statue of Liberty by ourselves. The Europeans yeah. arrived in couples. Yeah. Well, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, have you read, um, you know, I think, have you read uh, Nicole Dennis-Benn's book, Patsy? No. Um, can you I, can you say that again? I'm gonna write it down. Um Patsy by Nicole okay. Dennis Ben. I mean that's no. a, that's a bit of a different plot because the main character, you know, she is a she has a child that she leaves in Jamaica and um she's a lesbian, but she, she's not out to her family, of course, but she wants to come go to New York to kind of reunite with her like first love, this woman, Cecily, but Cecily is married um <laughs> to a man. Um, and so she leaves her daughter behind. And I think her, you know, her daughter kind of basically grows up without her um, while she kind of struggles and like lives this life as an illegal immigrant and is trying to survive. But, uh, you know, I, I really was like moved by that book because I just never really there's just so many things that I took for granted because I was so used to them that I never really thought about the implications of that. Um, you know, I think, you know, when I was young, my father left us and came to America by himself in 1985. And he, you know, so I didn't see my father, like, from the age two to age five. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that always created a kind of, like, rift between us. Um, and I think by the time we got here, you know, our, my parents didn't know each other anymore. And so the the years, immediate years when we lived with him were extremely, like, tumultuous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think, I don't know, I guess I... <laughs> I had a very, I grew up with a very, um, I don't want to say negative view of 
Jamaican men. <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I was used to that kind of like turmoil, kind of thinking of, of women as the ones that uh, are stable and that you can always count on. And I guess I always thought of men as like, I don't know, I just, I guess I saw men as having like this kind of power um, you know, they were just free to do whatever they wanted. And even when um, they were kind of talked about and, uh, you know, there was no shunning, like men were always welcome no matter what they did, whereas a woman <laughs> could be like ostracized. You know, that's what I saw from example, like my grandfather, had, you know, had lots of women and done all these things and he was always welcome um, on both sides of my family. Both of my grandfathers were like that. So, you know, it just felt like women to me were always, yeah, the stabilizing force in the family. Um, hmm. but I guess, you know, I, 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 I don't know because, you know, that was my experience, but then, you know, I'll meet other Jamaican people who had very different experiences. I don't know what's, I always took my family as the norm, but I don't, I don't know if that's true, but yeah, I, I think my grandfather's generation, especially it was just kind of, you know, he just had so much power. Like, you know, men could just, um, you know, they can just do anything. And it was just, uh. I think it was just up to women to kind of, uh, and I don't know if that was like, you know, that's something that I started to think about, um, you know, how colonialism and slavery like impacted that. Yes. Yes. That kind of behavior. You know, I was reading like a memoir, um, you know, by this white lady, this white, uh, she was like a governor's wife in the 1800s or something. And, you know, she was writing, she started talking about biracial free black women. And she was just saying that, Oh, they, you know, they don't want to marry black men. They want to marry, like, the best thing is to just be the concubine of a, of a white man because you get certain privileges. Um, you know, and I just, I never thought about race, like, race and colonialism and everything impacting the way that, and I mean, I did in terms of slavery, but not, you know, this kind of, um, the kind of power dynamic that it created. And I, I felt like my grandfather, I kind of realized my grandfather as this kind of light-skinned black man um, who came from kind of an old, I guess, an old family, because I've been doing research into his past, and I, I don't hmm. know, um, hmm. this kind of old family that's been kind of mixed race since, um, you know, since since early in early in slavery. Like I found them, like they started to mix in the seventeen, like the seventeen hundreds in Jamaica, um, and I think it created this. Yeah, it was it it created this kind of behavior that they needed to maintain their social class where you know to keep the skin light it was important to keep the skin light but it wasn't necessarily who you wanted to be with I don't know I mean I I I had I just have a lot of theories about about um you know the kind of messages he was sent as a child because then I I found out who his father was and I found out that his father was also this kind of light-skinned black man who had a wife who married a light-skinned you know, woman, but then ended up having a second family with this black woman, which is where we kind of, <laughs> we were the product of, um, you know, I, it just seems like it, there's, there's just this kind of these social norms that were created um, in Jamaica where color, you know, it was important to maintain the color um, and people kind of abandoned and created families based on that need. I, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, I've heard I've heard people say that, but it wasn't something that I remember being a thread in my childhood. I yeah. just remember stressed. I remember stressed out women arriving in the living room, wanting us to sponsor them for green cards. They uh, never had men with them. They never had men with them. Never. 
Yeah. And and basically my grandmother and great grandmother arrived at the Statue of Liberty alone. The Europeans arrived in two, the husband and the wife. But I once read somewhere that black women who arrived in the northeast of the US where most people from the West Indies arrived arrived alone. Yeah. 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 And it's yeah. And I think I think yeah, I mean I I I for me it's always I guess for the my family it's always been both sides like it's usually somebody will go there first alone and then maybe if the the couple is still together they'll bring the other person over but yeah some we've all like more or less come alone I guess you know my mother my father came <laughs> alone my grandfather came alone um you know my uncles came alone even if they had uh you know like women or families back home and they never really brought them up so yeah i i mean i think what i wanted to think about i think about a little but i don't really write about it in detail and i guess i change the situation in the book is like abandonment and how that affects hmm. people because you know hmm. i you know i was i i'm okay like i but i i did realize that you know me being separated from my father and not being with him from age two to five does did change our relationship for many years and then um you know i actually have a half brother who um, he had a different mother and his mother left and went to Canada. And then my father came here. And so he stayed in Jamaica this whole time. He's never been here. Um, you know, and I started while I was writing, I was starting to try to feel, try to imagine what he feels, you know, having to grow up, um, you know, with an aunt because his parents were, you know, quote unquote, working abroad for his entire life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's something um you know, I wanted to think about the things that fracture a family. And, you know, one of those things is, is immigration in this book. Is, Absolutely. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, there is this like history of, of, you know, West Indians leaving families behind to come to work, you know, in, in America or Canada or wherever. Um, but we don't really talk about the emotional impact, you know, it has on people. Well, the West Indian story has always been trivialized and, when I think of even, you know, even now I can be in a group of, of people, you know, casually who are not West Indian, who seem to be amused by West Indian people and associate the Caribbean with limbo dancing and funny accents and is something amusing to yeah. these people. Like they associate it with entertainment, amusement, pleasure, nothing to take seriously. They don't even regard the islands as sovereign nations, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, it's a, it's yeah no that's that, that's something too that i i thought a lot about just you know is that it's to find out about like west indian history even though west indians are so part of the fabric of the country you know of american history you really have to do your own research so i kind of had to really um you know kind of learn a lot of things for the first time about jamaica because i'd never had the opportunity to like learn in school basically well um, one of the things, you know, that I thought a lot about, you know, when I was reading your book was backstory. When you're an immigrant, you arrive without a story. And so in your book, you have a character who creates his own backstory. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting, you know, and it's interesting, the notion that you're free to create a backstory when you arrive somewhere. Nobody knows you from a hole in the wall. You can say anything. And um, and I think people do that often. Yeah, I do. Um, I do. You know. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, of course, you know, my, my I didn't know who my grandfather was until I was, you know, until my my aunt broke down before she died and told me. 
So there was a fiction around him, you know, that was a, a like a necessary fiction, a necessary lie. Um, I don't doubt that it benefited them enormously to lie. I don't see the what how it would have helped them to to have you know just gone public with oh he was a drunk and he overdrank. I mean, what would what good would that have been? So you know, I do understand that they they need they needed to put up a show of strength. They were alone. They were women, and that's what they did. Um, but what's interesting about your book is that it's like a spilling of the soul, like one character after another. It's like the whole book just lays all the dirty laundry out, all of the demons. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating, you know, and unimaginable. And until until I, I read your book, I never even dreamed like such a book could exist where you would have, <laughs> you know, all of these raunchy voices making these crazy confessions, these pained, tormented souls. I mean, well... I mean, it's good, you know, to have black characters with depth. Yeah. I mean, I think I, you know, because my family didn't really talk about a lot of things and because, you know, I, I, I feel like I still wanted to know so many things about my grandfather and my grandmother. Um, you know, I, I, but over the years, I figured out so much about them without being told directly. I think, you know, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I kept telling myself like, oh, I, I guess part of me was like, you know, I I can write this thing and then I can actually talk to my grandfather or talk to my aunt and get answers. But I just, you know, part of me also knew that I wouldn't be able to. And yeah, it's kind of a fantasy, I guess, like this fantasy that people will actually like, um, you know, that I think I just had the characters do what I, what I wanted um, my family to do. You know, it's like if I if I could actually get inside their heads and understand what they're thinking and hear what they're 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 feeling um you know this is what it would sound like um so yeah some you know the the actual uh plot points or the story in the book is not real but I think the emotions are all real I think when I was writing a lot of the different emotions I had a different person or a composite of different people in in my mind and I thought these are Uh these are the emotions that this person feels well, hey, it's obvious that you put a lot of thinking into yeah. this book. I mean, so it's so intense, it's so deep, and it's all over the place. You left no stone unturned creatively. Um, at at moments, your voice is like it's your voice is a very eclectic mix. Sometimes it's very old fashioned, like maybe a Stephen Crane fiction, yeah. you know, from from the eighteen hundreds or something, you know. Um, and then other times it's like, you know, Chuck Palahniuk style, like, boom, you know, <laughs> like, wow, all in one book. Yeah. All in one book. I think, I think part of that was a product of me spending so long writing it, you know, like it took me about 12 years to write. So I think, you know, sometimes I would put it away for a really long time and I would, you know, uh, you know, I would, okay. I would have changed as like a writer or I would be like, you know, I wouldn't have the same interests that I had when I first opened it. Or I would have learned something mm. new or read something really interesting. And I think I, you know, just to keep myself motivated and interested in the book, I would probably change something to make it more exciting to me. Mm. Um, so I think, mm. yeah. How long did you work on that book? Yeah, it, it took about 12 years. Um, you know. Are you? Oh, my God, really? Yeah, like, and even before, um, you know, like, I think I, I started out just writing short stories. Um, in 2006 but even before that in college I remember in, in 2000 probably three I, I wrote a little essay that was kind of the inspiration so I've had like these ideas um, kind of in my head for a while um, but yeah I just kept 
kept writing it, you know, writing these stories that were based on memories I had or family members. And then it just kind of, it kept um, evolving into something else over time. So the next time I'd pick it up, I'd say, oh, you know, I think it would be more interesting if all these people in, in these separate stories were actually in the same family. So I tried that. And hmm. so it became more interconnected. And then I said, you know, around the time when I, you know, I was thinking about my grandfather and he was getting, he was, you know, just behaving really strangely, um, you know, and we were wondering if he had dementia. Um, you know, I thought, you know, what if, what if this family is, it re- revolves around this kind of patriarch, this grandfather figure? Um, you know, so I would rewrite everything with that in mind. And then, you know, I think, you know, the, the novel and stories format, I feel like is kind of like, I haven't read that many books that are like that, but I, you know, I am like interested in that kind of genre. Um, Hmm. And I guess what I like about it is because they're kind of separate stories um, and everything is self-contained is that you can kind of change the genre of each chapter. So I did want to like play with, um, play with genre in between, you know, like have some that were like straight ghost stories and have some that were more, um, you know, kind of subtle Well, um, the Black story in America is largely the African-American story. Um, So the fact that this is a story about a West Indian family, Jamaican family, it seems a little disruptive to me, a little, you know, unsettling. I would be afraid, actually, and felt a little shy writing my own memoir, to be perfectly honest. Um, I felt a little shy existing, to be perfectly honest. I always would try to doctor up my backstory to, you know, to expunge any reference to the fact that we went home, home, as we called Antigua for for Easter. Or I remember being ashamed if, you know, my grandmother gave me sugar cake to eat and somebody who wasn't part of the family saw me eating it. Um, How did you, you know... I mean, do you think that the black immigrant story in America is is a suppressed narrative? I guess that's what I'm saying. Um, well, I guess it depends on who is the reader. Um, I definitely think it's been suppressed, I guess I would say by mainstream publishing. Um, you know, I think I I finished this book at a very particular point in time and I think if I had finished it maybe 10 years earlier or five years earlier, it probably wouldn't have gotten the reception that it, it got at this particular point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I, I mean, I, I think also, I think publishing is opening up to the idea. I think before, when I first started um, writing it, I just felt like very much every book was put being put out by mainstream publishing with the idea that their readers were all like white women or white white men. Uh, white American men. And I think by the time I started to put out this book, I started to see at least some acknowledgement that um, (laughs) that black people read books too. And that, uh, you know, that, that not everything has to be marketed towards, um, towards uh, white people. So I I definitely feel like there, and and I'm not calling anybody out, but I do see some kind of confusion (laughs) when I, when I read some of the, um, I guess the way the book is written about or the reviews, like I, yes, I, yes, yeah. Of like course. I do see that some people really have don't just, yeah. Like just, <laughs> just don't know nothing. Don't know anything about Caribbean people. Um, but I definitely feel like among black people, cause I feel like 
black people have reached out the most to me um you know with you know feedback and how how it made them feel and i don't think it's suppressed among like african african americans i feel like you know i feel like we know that there are similarities between our histories um but yeah i i do think mainstream wise like the the idea when people think about an immigrant i don't think or I don't think in mainstream uh, media, like the first impulse is to think of a black person. Um, like I just don't. <laughs> and you know, cause people will say stuff to me and you know, like, I mean, and you, I, I saw like one of your, one of your um, previous podcasts, you talked about American dirt with Miriam Gerba, you know, and I think, you know, it's kind of like, that's like a perfect example of it. It's this, you know, the author's note for that book when she said, you know, when we think of, people at the border we think of this brown mass or something I don't know it's like that's how people think of immigrants but you know when I read that I'm like who's we you know it's like I always identify with other immigrants I always think of myself as an immigrant because that's how I came here um but yeah I mean I think that's something that is not that a lot of people still aren't aren't aware of basically yeah, I do think that the Black immigrant is marginalized in America, that the Black immigrant just doesn't play into the Statue of Liberty story at yeah, all. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. um, even like the language when we were yeah. like, when I was younger, it was always very confusing. Like when I was applying to college to know like how to <laughs> describe myself, because I feel like, you know, it's like people don't understand the difference. It's like, you know, all Black people are African-American. Like I still have to explain to people like, no, it's we're all black, but you know, some of us are Afro-Caribbean, some of us are African-American. And it was hard to be- to understand when I was younger, when, when I was trying to fill out applications, like, do they mean African-American or do they mean black? Like, what is this, what are they actually looking for? What are they asking? Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where. I think literature can play a role in, and helping the world to understand that black is not a simple thing because that seems to be, you know, the assumption as I travel, especially here in Latin America, um, to be black is to basically be some kind of enigma, maybe some kind of error message or something, you know what I mean? It's like, there's no space for it, you know, to exist beyond physically like their presence, but their presence is puzzling. It's enigmatic. There's nothing that explains it. There's no history that anyone knows that can, you know, um, justify why they're standing next to you or anything like that. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty tragic. Yeah. I mean, Um, and I think also, yeah, especially with Jamaica, what you said about people thinking it as like a fun, entertaining culture and very positive. I was, you know, I'm just very surprised that over the years, like realizing that people don't understand that Jamaica is like a majority black country, that it, it's a country that was, you know, where people were enslaved, where people were colonized. Like, you know, it's something that just doesn't sink into like most people. And so, you know, which is why I kind of ended up putting in the kind of, um, you know, the section that takes place at the end of slavery in Jamaica, just because, you know, I read books. Um, okay. I'd read, I'd read okay. like different narratives and I would just wonder, you know, what was this like in a different context? What was this like in a, you know, a West Indian context? Yeah. Um, your book is badass, you know, it's like a badass <laughs> book. That's what I would call it. It's like, for me, it's like an act of like black magic, you know, Obia. It's just like, you just break out and you just come out with this story that, 
it's stunning. It's like this stunning story. It's just like, you know, coming out. It's like a coming out story for a, a large part, you know, of the black population that doesn't really have a voice that's pretty invisible. Um, and, um, you know, it reinforces the role, you know, to me, that fiction can play in telling like what I consider to be a mostly untold story of the black yeah. diaspora. Because the Black diaspora, there's tons more that need to bring it into focus. So your book, your book does that. That's why I say that it's badass. I just felt like, wow, I'm going to talk to her. I need to talk to her. Um, but otherwise, you know, um, yeah, it's like the untold story of the Black diaspora, but so much more because as a work of fiction, it just stands out. Maisie, um, I have nothing else to say. I'm not going to keep babbling. <laughs> Um, except that it's been a real pleasure. I'm so happy that we actually found the time to have this yeah, conversation. And I want to thank you. Yeah, I want to thank you a million times for joining me here yeah, tonight. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoy your, I, I was listening to the other episodes yesterday. I really enjoyed it, enjoy them. Yeah. Wow, cool. You listen <laughs> yeah. to my show. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, when you finish your next book, maybe I can talk to you about that, that, that okay, too. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Yes, it's been a real pleasure. You, you take, take care. care.